Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Vivek Visvanathan of Radiant Global Advisors, a US quantitative fund that focuses on the Chinese market. In our conversation, Vivek and I explore the shape of the Chinese investment scene and discuss the relative penetration of alternative data and its likely future in China. In other news, join me and other guests this Wednesday, the 8th of December at the delayed leading point event where we will be discussing is alternative data still alternative? London in-person and virtual tickets are available. Vivek, you are a you're the global head of research and portfolio management for Radiant Global Advisors, um, based out of California. But your focus is not towards California, is it? Your um, your actual focus is more towards is it entirely towards China? It's China and emerging markets. Yes. Okay, and um, so why don't perhaps why don't we kick off? Why don't you just give a little bit? a little short introduction to, to Radiant, just for people who aren't familiar with, with the fund and, and, and just a little uh, texture for, for, for who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So I, I spent 16 years in the quant industry. Much of that time was spent at research affiliates. My boss, Jason Sue and I uh, spun out the Asia arm of research affiliates to start rolling global advisors in 2016. And we've focused primarily on China, including equities and various alternatives, uh, including equity futures and commodity futures within uh, China. And we've built quant strategies to capture alpha in these markets. So that involves applying machine learning uh, and also getting alternative data sets, uh, which is primarily what we'll be talking about today. Which is what you're doing here. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and why China? So China is a beautiful market for investors for a very specific reason. It is simultaneously very highly retail. About 80% of the trading volume comes from retail investors. Though, interestingly, over the past couple of years, uh, high-frequency traders are actually starting to put get a, a larger and larger share of the volume. Uh, but, but that's maybe a story for another time. Um, but in addition, there is a lot of unique data that Chinese firms have to release um, that don't generally exist in other uh, countries. So the reason why that combination is is useful for investors, especially uh, quantitative investors who are parsing lots of data, is you get access to a tremendous amount of data uh, about firms that most of the traders in the market aren't reading or aren't processing. Right. So, so you, you have this large retail base that is not reading these releases, not processing this data. And you have a relatively small segment of institutional investors that can capture all of this data. Yeah. You, um, you, you've pretty much been doing this or something like it for, for, for 20 years. Has it always been China? No, no, it, it definitely hasn't. And for most of my career, I've been focused on just quantitative investing in general. And at first, 
Uh, we we took a factor approach and kind of viewed the wor- world in terms of these linear factors. You sort on some variable uh, from the so some ratio constructor from the the balance year income statement or, or whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, and over time, there 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 were a few things that I realized. One was that linear factors don't describe the relationship between characteristics and return. So that was one important realization. And and the, the the way to then deal with that is to apply more sophisticated methods. It must have been must have been crushing, wasn't it? But no, it, it, it was. So, you know, if, if you spend a decade doing something and then you you sit back and you realize, oh wait, this is truly a suboptimal way to, to be implementing. Um, yeah. the, there there's a catharsis to it, perhaps, but there's also a a sadness looking back on on the, the prior years. Be, be, because it's something that is, it ought to be obvious, right? In the, in the sense that it ought to be obvious that there are, there are two things at play. One is one should be using sophisticated methods to capture data, and one should be increasingly looking for data that other people don't have. Both of those things are things that should have been obvious to me, but but weren't. And I, I, I think that they, they were to a, a lesser or greater extent uh, obvious or, 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 or not obvious to, to, to different people. You've changed your, you changed your focus. So you were, you were doing yes. that and then you, then you became a more sophisticated, you kind of, you, 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 um, developed a new thesis. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and, and that's about, um, capturing linear, uh, well, linear information, nonlinear information and interactions between all data relevant to a firm whether that is uh, conventional data that the non-alternative data or alternative data. And, and by, by combining all that information together, optimizing a portfolio, you can build uh, better portfolios uh, with higher risk adjusted returns. You're in California, uh, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, and yep. um, you're obviously trading in China. China is not a market where, you know, you can just pick it up in yeah. terms of <laughs> right. it's somewhere in somewhere where local knowledge is is particularly of use and 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 you know there are so many subtleties you and I have talked about before so many subtleties in the language and meanings and 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 kind of and also in the kind of in the in the investment culture you know in terms of rules being passed down so it strikes me that um having an an onshore presence is is useful how do you how do you um how do you approach that problem yeah, absolutely. We we have a team of researchers in Hangzhou, China, and they are critical for us to source data, to understand how, how data feeds into signals, and also to understand what other folks are doing. Uh, they can read the sell-side reports and talk to their uh, uh, kind of folks in the industry and I can't do any of that, right? So, so the, they are this the lifeblood, so to speak, of of the signals and the alternative data. Um, so, what are they? What are they sending you? Yeah, so so I, I can I can kind of run through specific examples of, of signals, but but on a high level, um, they are reading uh, reports. They're looking at data. They're also, you know, interestingly, they're things that are actually translated into uh, English, right? You know, particular data source. And it's just like not 
perfectly done. And so they can uh, uh, deal with the uh, China data source directly and, and say like, oh, that column actually means something else, so on and so forth, right? So, so there are any number of, of, of things that they do on a, on a high level. Uh, going into specific signals um, and, and specific data sources. Yeah. So the, this one is from, um, it, it's from Wind, which is the Bloomberg of China, basically. But they have a lot of the data that um, one m- might consider alternative, certainly different from uh, what one would be able to get in the US and most other countries. So one such example is net, net small versus net large uh, buying data on individual stocks. So every day, right? This is literally every single day. You, you get this at the end of the day. What the net small, net medium, net large, and net extra large buying and selling is for a particular stock. So they have particular cutoffs. The particular cutoffs are not necessarily relevant for the conversation, but it, it turns out that uh, small net buys tend to be uninformed, whereas large net buys tend to be informed. And and that's intuitive, right? Because when does this when does this data arrive the next day? Is it? Yes, yes, exactly. And, and so you're getting so somebody in the Chinese system is taking the previous day's trading, and then grouping it by saying, uh, this is what was bought in small quantities, this was what was bought and sold in large quantities, and then giving them giving you the data in kind of batches so that you can look at the day, you can squint your eyes and see kind of what the activity looked like for the whole day. Yes, yes, exactly. And you, and you get that for every single stock. Um, why do they, why do they, I mean, because do, do they, is there an equivalent in the US and UK stock exchanges? I'm not familiar yeah, yeah, with that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the, the thing is, if you had, um, you know, whatever, level two market data, or actually, I think you can even rely on level one, you, you could construct a signal like this in any yeah. given spot. It's just interesting that there, and, and, and this is, uh, lo, you know, largely the case in, in, uh, China and, and, to a much lesser extent in, in most other markets. They're constantly trying to aggregate and report data in useful, usable ways. And it, it is interesting and unintuitive in the sense that retail investors would be unable to parse this data, right? No retail investor, presumably, is going to go in and start um, parsing net, large, net small versus large buying data. Um, so... The incentive to, for the, and, and in this case, it's the exchanges, right? So um, the, the exchanges are aggregating this data. I, it's hard to understand precisely what the incentive is there uh, for all this data. Again, I'm, I see the government everywhere, but I do you reckon that it, it, it potentially could be a government desire to keep an eye on what's going on in terms of understanding. And so potentially they've asked the, the exchanges to do it. Yeah, it, it's it's a plausible uh, um Hypothesis. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, but, but, but in any case, the, the, we see exactly what one would expect on the net small and net large buying. Net small buyers, yes, they, they tend to be largely retail, um, but they also behave, obviously, I suppose, like retail investors. They are uh, buying stocks that will tend to continue falling. Um, and, and so if you bet against net small, in investors and bet uh, on net large investors or net large buying in any case, um, 
you can earn an information ratio of about 0.7. So these, um, just a simple signal, right? Has has uh, a lot of information in it. Because it's basically telling you what the what the uh, what the um, informed people are doing and what the uninformed people are doing. Exactly. And if you buy what buy what the informed people are buying, then you're probably going to win. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. That's great. Um, how interesting. And so, so that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a very nice thing. A lot of these things really is kind of taking advantage of the, of the immaturity of the, of the market, aren't they? These are the kinds of things which disappear as the, as the market matures and the institution and the big boys kind of run in more and more. Yes. And, and I, I expect with the increased, um, high frequency trading, this signal will eventually get completely drowned out. That's my guess anyway, because Mm. on the small trading side, a lot of that will end up getting uh, mixed in with high frequency traders, right? So you, you see a bunch of small trades all over the place. Well, that could be retail traders. That could be high frequency traders. And you definitely don't want to be trading against a high frequency guys, right? So um, that's, uh, you, you know, we haven't quite seen that manifest, but it will. It will. It's an interesting, I mean, I see, um, so what I'm what I'm picturing the, the more informed traders, I mean, possibly because I'm speaking to someone in California, I'm picturing that a lot of them might be coming from from uh, mature markets like Australia or America or, or yes. Britain and, and, and buying in, in, in China. Um, and um, but the high frequency thing is is obviously um, must be internal. High frequency by its by definition. Yes. feels like a sophisticated strategy and requires a certain amount of, you know, but that by definition must be on the ground and, and almost, and if it's on the ground, it almost must need some kind of government buy-in or, or comfort with it to make, to make that possible. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm interested in the, the latter point because there hasn't been any firm, um, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down from the government about uh, high frequency trading. But um, it's certainly the case that much of that is happening locally. Now, now of course, it is literally happening locally, right? That's sort of the nature of, of high frequency yeah. trading, your, your computers and so on and so forth. You, you want them to be somewhat physically proximate. Um, mm-hmm. But but I, I do know that there are at least a handful of firms that are looking at uh, very short horizon prediction um, that are from outside of uh, China. Um, but but you, you brought up a, a very good point about foreign investors. That is, some of these large trades are indeed um, coming from uh, foreign, foreign investors. And th- there's actually a separate signal um, that is uh, predictive, and that is northbound connect uh, net buy. And, and actually, even beyond net buying, just holdings, right? So, so northbound connect uh, refers to a particular mechanism that foreign investors can invest in China through Hong Kong. Right, so Southbound Connect is mainland Chinese investors investing in Hong Kong. Um, Northbound Connect is Hong Kong investors investing in uh, China. But you don't have to just be a Hong Kong investor; you can be any investor and invest through Northbound uh, Connect. Well, any non-mainland Chinese investor, anyway. And um, those investors tend to have a lot of information as well. This is actually just a general idea. That if you're an international investor, if you're going to open an account in another country to buy a stock or buy a, some set of stocks, you probably know something, 
you probably have some information. That's a, there are a couple things going on. You're probably institutional. And number two, you're probably doing it for a reason. You're not just doing it on a whim. Uh, mm. you, you, you believe you have information on some subset of stocks within that market. Um, so that's, that's another form of effectively alternative uh, data, right? It, it, it's, it's something that is, um, exists only within uh, that country, with the, yeah. you know, Northbound Connect holdings. And there are also QFI holdings, which is qualified foreign institutional investors. That has slightly less information. Um, and anyway, so, sorry. I, yeah, no, no, no. That's this is very. It's it's kind of it's data which takes advantage of the market conditions and 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 which is specific to to the way the market is created. You're studying what other people in the market are doing, but it's a lot of these things are kind of less advanced, um, as we say, than less advanced than than what we're seeing in the more developed markets. The risks, the possibility seems to be that the next step is that um, everyone is aware, you know, they listen to podcasts like this and they're, they're aware that each other are, are trading like this. And then you can start manipulating the market by putting through a big order one day, you know, doing a large, doing a large buying, a net large net buy one day. Cause you know that everyone who, who tracks the large net buy every day, um, will see that, you know, something's up. And so they'll pile into it as well type thing. It just seems like if you've got, 20% institutional investors and they are all um, looking at each other for the, for the, for the guidance, then the risk is that you can start um, taking advantage of that and start creating, creating signals. Yeah. It, it's, it's an interesting point. I think the more institutional the market gets, the greater the risk that there could be sort of an information spiral, so to speak. That is if, if, People are following what other smart money is doing. And then, you know, I mean, eventually the smart money becomes dumb money, so to speak. That is, yeah. you're just running around in circles trying to uh, uh, bid up the, the same stock. And then you get the U.S. market. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I, I wonder about it. And, and it is when, when we think about when which signals are likely to die, um, that is a signal that is likely to die at some point. Um, you you don't want to be relying on something where if other people rely on it, it will cause a cascade of madness, right? And and that is effectively what net large buying might do, right? In in, yeah. in some extreme scenario. So so I I think th that is a signal that um, is likely to hit efficiency faster than. Um, the other signals that may be less subject to price or, or or transaction manipulation, so to speak. I'm I'm intrigued that your the the data that you are using would tend would see would be and I, and and I think it I think it makes sense as well that this is this would be the case. But the data you're using would seem to be thinking carefully around traditional forms of data in China rather than um, kind of take advantage of the latest technologies and the latest kind of, you know, uh, alternative data types, which you're seeing in America in terms of credit cards yes. and, and right. geolocation and satellite imagery and all of that stuff. It, it, it seems that there is, there is still low hanging fruit, which is, which has gone from the, from the, from the Western markets in a way. Um, 
have you do you see these forms of 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 data which are which are now used as some people say are kind of table stakes in 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 some cases in some in some stocks in america um yes. do you see them uh, as having a use yet in china or do you think their time may come further down the line when the market is more developed i already think uh true let's call it true alt data right so it's not even stuff that is unique to china that is required to to be released but just things that are fully outside of the the market um that data is is already um useful um there's no question about it but but there there are a couple of things, right? And and I, I the, this is something we, we were discussing a little bit before the the, mm. the podcast, which is insofar as data revolves around individuals, um, the government seems to be um, un, perhaps understandably uh, worried about data that's specific to, to individuals. So if, if if we have, you know, it, it's not clear in the future um, what will happen to uh, transactions level data. Um, now, w- we know that um, from a tech perspective, if if one has information on uh, specific Chinese consumers and so on, um, that's something that they want to reduce in general. That is, the Chinese government wants to uh, reduce the amount of information that firms gather on individuals. But also, they definitely don't want that information abroad. Um, mm. so, so they're, they're kind of two things that are at, uh, at play there. Um, now I, you know, we'll see the extent to which that ends up impacting alternative data sets, sets that are relevant to investment. That is, will individual transaction data, will, will, will that effectively be, um, very difficult to come by, uh, in, in China? I, I don't know. Um. We'll, we'll we'll see how that that plays out in terms of government policy. Um, but I, you know, going back to the broader question, this sort of data, the data that I'm describing right now, it will absolutely be uh, arbitraged away faster than the the true alt data, the the data that you really have to go off uh, uh, the the normal, the typical sources to find. Um, so th- this is kind of like the the second level data, right? So if you were to imagine yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the the standard data that that standard market data, so on and so forth, then there's there are the things that are unique to China, but that you can still find through wind or other sources. Well, that's kind of the the second level requires a new level of investigation, uh, but it doesn't require getting entirely. Uh, you know, effectively buying entirely new data sources or finding some very clever way to gather data. Uh, and then that that sort of third level of, of alt data, which is truly alternative, um, that would be, uh, you know, the, the, still still predictive now, but it's probably the last to die, right? It, it's probably the thing that will continue generating alpha the longest. The... So it strikes. Um, so yeah, that 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 does make sense, and it sounds. So it's. I mean, the fact that you are making a comfortable living based out of, out of California, focused on these, you know, as you say, second level data, uh, suggests that kind of um, 
the time for alternative data in China is still to come, you know, and, and you don't need it yet type thing. You can still you can still have a lot of fun without doing all these, um, you know, going and buy an expensive data set or doing a heavy, dangerous scraping process or, or whatever. Um <laughs> But uh, it strikes me, so on the government regulation aspect, so it's interesting that you feel the issue may be around data to the to individuals and transaction level and, and sorry, transaction data around individuals, et cetera, and, and particularly that moving abroad. Um, I wonder if there's a security aspect to the, to the Chinese government thinking around that. I'm not sure. But um, but there are other forms of alternative data in terms of um, satellite imagery, for example, which again, actually, they may not even they may not be happy about at all. And uh, security, security either. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, at least that one they can't control, right? I mean, you you you, you can't stop uh, uh, satellites from just kind of floating around. You can, but there'll be repercussions. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, um, but then things like scraping prices, which is very mm-hmm. popular alternative data in in um, in 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 the US. Um, scraping prices doesn't necessarily have a have a clear. Um, uh, uh, loser in terms yes, of in, you're, individuals. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yes. So, no, so, you, you, so potentially we could end yeah. up with a, a slightly different shaped alternative data market where it's areas which aren't deemed sensitive, which is so not the individual focused stuff, but the more generic general stuff. Yes, absolutely. You, you, you know, whether it's um, looking at uh, job listings for a company to see who's hiring, yeah. um, seeing uh what goods are nearly sold out on or, or completely sold out on a uh, uh, various um, kind of Alibaba-like uh, yeah. websites. Um, those are, are uh, you know, I th- th- those will, will likely uh, continue and, and there's very little either incentive or, or even ability for the, the government to uh, kind of prevent that from being gathered. I mean, the other thing, the other thing, which is um, I'm, I'm seeing more and more is the kind of the idea of, for example, synthetic data um, mm-hmm. in order to, I mean, again, this is potentially solving a problem which doesn't need to be solved yet, because as you say, the level two data is still, is still very, very useful in China. But, but the synthetic data being the kind of generated, you get a small data set and you can generate a much larger data set or a kind of mirror data set in order for that. So then you're removing the kind of individual um, aspect from it because you've you're, you've generated a, a data set with all the with all the exact same qualities which you can then use for your for your you know market predictions or whatever. Um, yes. So I so I can I can see potentially that becoming of, of use in China as well. That that kind of that kind of thinking of how to obfuscate remove the individual. Yes. Yes. No. That 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 really is uh, clever, right? So so yeah. If if you just kind of aggregate it up, um, that you you kind of avoid. Um, and any issues there, um, but 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 I, I mean th- that's I, I I'm just interested to see how how it it plays out because I I think things it's it's not clear to me exactly uh, how the government is going to to regulate um, individual data um, domestically and and especially. Abroad, but but we'll, we'll you know this is a, a wait and see thing. I I, I don't want to speculate too too hard on on that. Yeah. Um. So looking ahead, um, 
then do you well we kind of we kind of just have a little bit but in terms of in terms of how and i've and you just said you don't want to speculate but in terms of um in terms of the future of alternative data in china do you have any have any thoughts of of uh, maybe maybe we can't actually because you don't you don't want to speak. no no i i i think there are a few things that jump into my head one is yeah. um the uh processing of text i think that's going to be uh much bigger uh within china there there are algorithms that are uh fit to um english uh uh you know, huge stores of, of English data that they've uh, similarly been fit to uh, large core, you know, a large corpus of um, Chinese text. And, and so those algorithms are increasingly going to be useful um, for processing any number of documents. Um, so that's uh, one particular thing that we're, we're interested in. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, there are any number of uses uh, for that, from news to uh, financial reports to um, uh, social media. So, so you know, th- that's uh, one particular aspect that we're interested in, and um, we think will make up an increasing portion of of our efforts, certainly. Um, Vivek, is there anyone you would be interested in hearing from who might be listening to this this uh, this podcast? Is there any anyone who could send you interesting Chinese data or or anything like that? Have you have you? Yeah, you know, I mean, no one in particular, but insofar as you know, folks have um, data that is relevant to the cross section of Chinese firms. I think that is extremely relevant and and useful to us and it's worthwhile uh contacting us i think much of what i see um and and you know i will we'll often get contacted uh, by people is um we'll see things that are outside of china issues obviously because that's just by you know obviously there's just a lot more uh, alternative data for for other regions for any number of, of uh, sure. reasons and um but but the second thing is Insofar as there is um, data on China, it's often macro data, which is nice. But, you know, if you're building cross-sectional quantitative strategies, you want data that can be tied to firms. And so um, that that's what's uh, relevant to us. Data that can, that stock, can be... Sp- stock, sp- stock specific. Absolutely. And, and, can, and that can build a wide cross-section. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's nice to see that Hey, you know, we, we we've got some some data set on uh, pharmaceutical companies or something like that. But we, we, you know, the the broader the cross section on a given signal, the easier it is for any algorithm to to learn the relationship between it and return. Is it hard to find a good good long history in Chinese data sometimes? Yes, definitely, definitely, and 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 that's why weirdly um, you you find very strong signals in the all data space, not because you, um, n- n- not because th- they tend to be stronger, but because the history is so short. The only thing you would ever get a T stat out of is something that has a very high information ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are a lot of uh, what are effectively duds um, when. Be, because the, the the history is, is short. Now the, they might actually be valuable. It's just that 
you don't have a, a long enough data set to ascertain whether this uh, few percent return you're earning per annum on this given signal is is real or a um, result of noise in the in the data. Yeah, interesting. And well, I mean, it'll only get better. It'll only get easier as time goes. Yes, that is very true. Well, I, I mean, they're, they're competing things, right? I mean, you get more time, but you also get uh, more uh, sophisticated managers uh, arboring out the alpha. So, right. so yeah, it, 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 there's kind of a, an interesting uh, yeah. uh, push and pull there. There'll be a sweet spot somewhere in the in the middle, and you better yep. enjoy it. Enjoy it while you got it, Vivek. Enjoy the <laughs> moment. Enjoy the yep. moment. Absolutely. Um, Perfect. Well, Vivek, thanks so much. Um, really interesting uh, breakdown of, of China and exploration of it and, um, and and what you're doing out there. So um, so thanks so much. And um, and please do. It's, it sounds like it's such a fast evolving market that uh, if you come on in a year, then you may have a whole new a whole new story to tell me. So, so yep. you're most welcome. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Lovely.